Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside just outside New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Um, will it ever stop raining? I, I, like, I don't want to be the quintessential Irishman and, and start a conversation with someone talking about the weather. Because if we talk about the weather as small talk, then it delays talking about the actual things that are affecting our lives. And I also, I also think it makes people think that we're not really friends. Yeah, exactly. Like the weather is the, is a thing you talk about with an acquaintance. Yeah, it, it's it, it's one of an armory of things that Irish people have to to kind of deflect from the darkness that they really, really should be discussing with someone. Right. Um, but it won't stop raining here. Jesus Christ, give us a break. Like, I don't have, because we've had mild winters. Well, last winter was really mild and the winter before that was cold, but it wasn't too bad. But the point being, I don't have the appropriate footwear or I'd have to dig it out. And so I end up just getting my feet wet because I'm still going to, I still got to go out. I've always said that I, I, I need to look at the statistics because I think New York is a very underrated rain city. Like what people always talk about Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. Oh, it rains so much. I really believe, and I could do it easily, I guess. But if you look up statistical rainfall, I think people would be stunned by how high up New York city is. Just a hunch. You looked at, you looked at this before in the pod when we were talking about rain and we will get to the football guys. And it was Seattle. Seattle was no, no, Seattle was behind New York. New York was number one. I believe that Frazier duped a generation of people our age into believing that all it did was rain in Seattle. Yeah. Because there were so many kind of, if I remember correctly, there was a lot of rain scenes in, in, in Frazier. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't mean to, it, it rains a lot in Seattle. There's no way around that, but I just think New York needs to be in the conversation when we talk about rain cities. Uh, anyway, this podcast is going to be all about soccer. That's what we're going to talk about from here on out. God knows there's plenty to discuss. We're going to get into all kinds of things. The North London Derby, Newcastle's thrashing of Sheffield United, 
Uh, Chelsea, I mean, we'll get into that. Manchester City in a weirdly feisty match against Nottingham Forest. Bearhalter Reina, so much. Megan Rapino. There, there's really a lot to get to here on a late, late Monday night in uh, in the United States. But let's start, JJ, with what I mentioned first there. And let's go to North London, where uh, Arsenal and Tottenham played out a very, very entertaining 2-2 draw. Lots of big moments, lots of drama, controversy. Uh, two clubs that are, I think, really in their moment right now. It felt big. Uh, this was this was a fun one, I thought. I think it was. Um it was a game with plenty of scrappy play interspersed with really brilliant moments, some really great moments. There was that derby tension uh, <laughs> that was really there. It was so important for Tottenham supporters that the Ange Vibes Fest would not be ended at Arsenal. Yeah, I think it's acceptable for them to take a, pump, a pumping somewhere. I was talking to Brian McAnally, who you've met, uh, owner of the Black Horse Pub in Brooklyn, massive Spurs fan. And he said, look, we're going to get hammered somewhere. It can't be Sunday. Please may it not be Sunday. And 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 that's a general feeling. And really, uh, Tottenham acquitted themselves very, very well. And that, I think, if you're, if you're one of, uh, if you're coming from one set of supporters, I think it's the Tottenham set of supporters that are going to be happier with that draw. I think, I think that was a good point. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, look, first off, you know, Tottenham haven't won there since 2010. Um, and I know even though this wasn't a win, it just speaks to how difficult a place it is for Spurs to go and play well. Yeah. Um, so you know they're in the infancy of a new manager they just lost arguably the greatest player they've had in the last since Jimmy Greaves you know they only just lost that guy mm. um you know their captain for whatever you thought of Hugo Lloris as a keeper he's he was their captain he's completely on the outs like Tottenham is in a moment of transition and so this was sort of a game where we can kind of like, yeah, they've, they had the Sheffield United comeback. Like they've had fun moments. They played well against Manchester United. Um, but this was a litmus test in a way that none of their games so far had really been at Arsenal early in the season. Okay. Yes. Let's find out where this club really is. So for Tottenham to go there, play well and play the way that they want to play, um, go down twice, come back twice. I think that, yes, I would say, you know, both sets of supporters have, I, I suppose some reasons to feel good, but I think far more for Tottenham fans coming out of this one than Arsenal fans. And I, and I say I, that as one. I think so. And also there's, there's a sense, and I'm sure you feel it too. You know, when you make new signings or you have a player come in and he's done really well against other teams, maybe lesser teams, and it's your big rival you want him to show up on that day. That was James Madison for me. I thought he was, I thought he was outstanding. It's also worth noting, I heard in the introductory comments to the game that Spurs only featured two players from the corresponding fixture last season in the first eleven. That is that's ridiculous. Yeah, I missed that. So, that sounds it. It sounds correct though. Um. And like, like the Spurs 
the Spurs, the way Spurs played, it's, it's just it's just so weird watching them now. I, I'm shooting forward, but in the second half, I think it was at two two when Spurs were trying to trying to grab a winner. There's this brilliant bit of play uh, down the right hand side. I think it ends up in a shot from an angle um, where the ball goes. Ball, I can't remember who had the final shot, but the, the whole move. I had to stop myself and say, "This Tottenham." There was a high risk pass played in the final in in the in Tottenham's inside Tottenham's own uh, defensive third, and then another great pass that set an attacker away, and it was just this lightning quick break. And I'm like, I don't care. You can quote me all the Mourinho counter attacking stats he had from that that goal laden season where they were still terrible to watch. It was nothing like this. Nothing like this. Well, it's, this. Um, yeah. It's so refreshing. I don't. I don't want to relitigate. Please don't relitigate. I'm not. I'm not. They're different. They're so different. They're it's so, so good, though. It's this is so good. this is not even nothing about this resembles what was going on over the last four seasons of Tottenham. And to be honest, because I'm not used to it yet, it's the reason why I would say I watched the last 35 minutes of this game through an entirely clenched sphincter, because. They're playing, they're, they are so resolute, and it's what I respect about Ange. He has said this, He's, I mean, in, in preseason, when he got mad at Pierre-Emil Hoybier for trying to play the old way, he said, I don't make the risky pass. I'm telling hmm. you to do that thing. Um, you know, they are so resolute in their determination to play out from the back, and they did it all throughout the entirety of this game. And should and, have been 2-0 down for it. And James Madison, for, and we'll talk about what a great game he had, but for whatever a great game he had, he also had a horrible giveaway that Gabriel Jesus couldn't capitalize on. Destiny Udagi, who's had an incredible start to his yeah. Tottenham career, had a terrible back pass that Eddie Nketiah was at a bad angle, and Nketiah probably should have laid it off and centered it. Instead, he took it himself from a bad angle, and, and the save was made. But Tottenham are going to play that way, and Ange is willing to live with those moments where something bad happens, but I give them, I'll give them a ton of credit because for the last 30 minutes or so of that game, it was after Tottenham tied it, you know, both teams were going for it in a major way, trying to win this game. And Tottenham continued there. They were not going to just play it safe. They were not going to just smash the ball downfield and get out of there with a point. They were going to play their way all the way through to the end. And you know, okay, you can do that, but Arsenal to their credit, despite the fact that it didn't really result other than those two chances, I can't think of too many more opportunities that resulted from the, from give mistakes in the back, but Arsenal pressed very well. They were on Tottenham that entire game well, in that end of the field. And and I give Ange credit for, for going at that and Tottenham broke it down and there weren't too many moments, you know, other than my own insecurities about it. Cause I'm just not used to it. I can't think of too many other moments late in the second half where it got really tense, where Tottenham had a bad giveaway in a bad spot. They, they played through it and they created chances of their own. It was, it was admirable. I thought to see them continue to play that way in the face of a really good press from Arsenal. We'll, we'll talk about that actually. Um, why Arsenal may have not been able to blitz or really overwhelm or really attack Tottenham in the final part of that game when you, when you feel as if they're at home against your rival, come on, turn turn it on. And they didn't really create a ton of chances um, towards the end of that game. For Arsenal, Andrew, this game didn't remind me entirely of, of a game late last season, but there was similar elements because the conversation now 
still remains. It's it's the same conversation me and you have had on this podcast since the start of the season and even before. The question before the season, will Arsenal be as good as they were last season? And the question now is, well, Arsenal don't really seem as good as they were last season, and particularly not at this point. Now, why is that? What's going on here? And I remember the West Ham game where they got off to an absolute flying start. Um, West Ham away to the London Stadium towards the end of last season. And it was like maybe 10, 15 minutes of just overwhelming Arsenal play, attacking play, and you think they're going to, they're just going to blow West Ham away. But that was it. And if anything, it was West Ham who just roared back into the game. And you look at Arsenal in this match, I would say 40, maybe 35 minutes, Arsenal looked really, really good. And then they kind of just faded significantly. And then Spurs got a foothold in the game. Now, I know Arsenal went ahead through the penalty. I, 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 know, I know that happened. But it just seems as if there's something missing with Arsenal. It, they're, they're not what they were towards the start of last season. They're not replicating that now at the start of this season. Um, well, and... remember, Gabriel Jesus got off to such a flying start last season mm. that I think that lifted the way because it felt like, okay, well, now Arsenal have that cutting edge that they've been missing. And so I think that really impacted the way we viewed them. It hasn't been quite the same this year. He was hurt. Eddie Nketiah is fine, but I think we've all kind of now settled into knowing what Eddie Nketiah is. He's a fine backup. Um, well, can we, can we, can we deal? I want to, because I, there's been such good stuff um, written about this game in, in just like the 24 hours since it happened. And I do want to reference a couple of things. So I'll start with Ken Early's article on Nketiah. Now, I'm not, this is not a victory lap for me over you, Andrew. I'm not trying to oh, belittle any of, of your God. comments. But no, but you, uh, you thought, looking at that Arsenal squad in our previews, you think that squad has decent enough depth. Now, whether it's enough depth to over, overhaul City, m- maybe not. But you, you and, and Nketiah was one of these players that you signaled out as, look what he did last season in, in a tight spot for Arsenal. Like, he can do it again, or they're okay in this position. Now, I was more, I, I look at the Arsenal squad, and I don't see depth. But I, I have to say, it wasn't the attacking uh, players I was thinking of. I was thinking, they need another centre-back. But Ken did this and it um, this piece for the Irish Times and it blew me away because I didn't know any of this. And maybe I haven't been playing, paying proper attention, but he talks about Arsenal and what they are missing in attack. And he says the, the statistical measure of goals minus non-penalty goals, mi- sorry, minus non-penalty expected goals gives you an indication of the quality of, play- of a player's finishing. By this measure, Opta ranked Harry Kane as the best finisher in the Premier League last season, and Erling Haaland as the second best. Nketiah was ranked 568th out of 569 Premier League players. There is some irony in the fact that player number 569 by this measure, the worst finisher of 22-23, was Havertz, who Arsenal have just spent $65 on. So... What I'm, what I'm saying is um, we're looking at Arsenal 
And we're looking, well, wh where are the problems here? And maybe my focus on looking at, oh God, they need another defender. If there's any, if there's a Saliba style injury again, they're going to struggle. Maybe that's all wrong. Maybe like that, that, that's that about Inketi. It makes me think that the business they did in the summer, as Ken alluded to, in buying Havertz for that amount of money as some kind of, I don't know, project player, midfielder, quasi-forward, don't know really what he is, is a, mis is a mistake. And it's, and it's going to cost them, and it is costing them. Well, look, Havertz we will forever agree on because I have felt that way about him since, <laughs> I don't know, certainly in the midst of his Chelsea tenure. Um, never made sense to me. Don't get it today. Look, Inketia, like he's a backup to me. Uh, I think he's fine. I think that look, that stat is obviously jarring. Um, it really but was. I, I don't entirely know what to make of that. But I look at Arsenal yesterday or Sunday, um, and I see a team like if we're going to talk about their depth, you know, they score two goals. They nearly beat a good informed Tottenham team, and they don't have Trossard or Martinelli up front. Mm. Like two players who are certainly higher on the depth chart than an Enketia. Uh So, I mean, I get what you're saying. If Eddie Enketia is your backup number nine, is there a ceiling to how good you can be? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, how ma the backup striker for most teams, how great is that player? I don't know. Like, I think he probably falls in line with a, with what a lot of other teams have in that position. I mean, he might be better than Nicholas Jackson, who's starting right now at Chelsea. So, I don't know. If he's your go-to option at that spot, then, yeah, you're probably in some trouble. If he's your backup, I still think that that's okay. Maybe yeah. it's not as good as I initially thought, but I don't, is it a negative? I don't know. I think it's probably middle of the road. So, so I continued with my, with my trying to diagnose what is different about Arsenal. And so Tifo Football, John McKenzie and JJ Bull did a little piece. And again, I know like this is very, I'll give you the, I don't want to give you too many stats or, or things like that because it is, it is hard to listen to stats. But basically what they're saying is Arsenal, Arsenal's progression of the ball through the center of the field is not as good as it was last season. It's struggling now and they're struggling with creative passing into the penalty area. The basically like Harry's and passes into the penalty area against Tottenham yesterday were not big. Were not were, they weren't high. They had a they had a chart. You can see it on T Tifo Football on YouTube and on JJ Bull's Twitter as it's just an interesting conversation. And they talked about the change from how they played last season, where Zinchenko would play start at fullback but would be an inverted midfielder to Rice in midfield. And now what's happening with Rice is Rice isn't receiving the ball from Rea or the centre backs with his back to goal and then turning sharply, and that's how they're progressing the ball to the midfield. Rice is actually pulling out wide, and Odegaard is dropping in there to 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 help Arsenal progress the ball up the field, and it's not really working great. And so there's a little bit of a breakdown, and I don't know what happens. Rice's injury now. He's struggling with his back. He had to come out of the game uh, yesterday. I wonder if Rice's injury prompts a reset for Arteta in his thinking. Let's go back to what we did last season and try and work it that way. Um, but it was a fascinating conversation about it. Like, So there is actual tactical 
breakdown for Arsenal. It's not just, hey, well, we don't have enough strikers at one end of the field. We don't have the quality of strikers, as Ken was talking about, which is is true. They're, they don't have the depth there. But it's also actual, um, I suppose, basically how Arsenal play isn't working. Uh, in stretches, like I still thought, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm watching the game with somebody who has a has a vested interest. I still thought they, they felt dangerous to me. Now, I know their goals, I wouldn't call them flukes necessarily. You had a, a massive deflection own goal from Christian Romero, who had a weird day. Um, Romero, who's one of Tottenham's best players, but Christian Romero is the 11th player in Premier League history to score an own goal and give away a penalty in the same game and the first Tottenham player ever to do it. Um, so you had that goal. You had the the penalty, obviously, for the the Romero handball, um, which again I, I fall back on my my position of no handball is controversial to me anymore because they're all sort of a crapshoot. Uh, I thought it was. Whenever I'm just now accustomed to when I see an arm That's that far away from a body, it's a penalty. It's interesting though because so Duncan Castles posted. He said, any handball incident that requires two and a half minutes of VAR and referee review to make a final decision on is clearly not a clear and obvious error. Um, except that's not why the review took that long. I think they they established quickly in the review that it was a handball. But then mm. in the VAR review, they needed to establish if James Madison had been fouled in the buildup as the ball was being played in. Then after that, they needed to establish if the handball was a red card offense. So I think anybody who who felt that way, this review's taking forever, therefore it can't be a handball, that's flawed thinking. And I know at times I've fallen into that trap before as well, where I think if it takes this long to to know if it is or isn't, then it's then it's whatever you initially said. But I think sometimes we don't know all the things that are being looked at in addition to whatever that offense is. So that's why it took that long. Um, I can't remember, because the weekend's a bit of a blur for me, but I can't remember what game I was watching where there was a goal, a clearly onside goal, and it looked as if, from the VAR pictures we got, that at one point they were reviewing the wrong phase. And someone tweeted us, are they looking at the wrong phase of play there? And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's completely on site. What are they looking at here? And they spent at least a minute and a half, two minutes on that. Yeah, I, I don't always know. But that that is one thing to keep in mind with some of these VAR reviews when they go as long as they do. On the Tottenham side of this... Um, Son was brilliant, and I think that was so encouraging for a couple reasons. One, his start to the season has been a little bit uneven. Um, obviously, he had the hat trick, but that, he's only really made that impact in one game. And I think, you know, Harry Kane just exited Tottenham as not only their best player of an era, but also in these games specifically. He leaves as the most accomplished uh, London North London Derby player of all time from a goal scored perspective. So there was this there's this curiosity of okay well he in in moments when Tottenham needed a goal in a big game so desperately he was just the guy who would fill that void and son gets you know he becomes the captain he's the natural choice to fill Kane's spot can he do it is he capable is he of that level for him in his first opportunity as captain to score those two goals both trailing both when Tottenham really desperately needed them just felt great for him uh and I think it was important that he showed, okay, I am that guy. I can be that guy for this club. I mean, um, it, it's vital because, I, I mean, they need that figurehead up top. They, Richarlison ain't it. It's not going no. to be him. So it's important that Son gets back to what he was, not last season, but in previous seasons. Because there, yeah. was, a, there was a worry that he was in decline. 
players go go get to a point and you've got the best out of them. So it's very it, very heartening to see him play in a big spot and score those goals. By the way, the the, the goal. I know Madison does so well in the build-up to the equaliser, Andrew, but that finish is so deft. Which so which de- one? Which equaliser? The, the first equaliser. Oh, the way Madison just burnt Saka was really something. It was so good, and the delivery is excellent, but the run is superb from Son, and he has so much to do to guide that in at the far post. So deft, brilliant. Now, if we're going to say... Real quick, that, that first Son goal... I still, even knowing that it goes in, like I've watched the highlights a bunch of times. I know he scores. I still get anxiety watching it because I feel like you see so many of those where just like the way it hits his foot and the curve on it, you just, you've seen so many of those just kind of go past the post. I I get anxiety, but he just hit it exactly right. It was delicate. It was deft. It was perfect. Now, if we're going to say that there was luck uh, in in the two Arsenal goals. which I'm not saying luck. They're just fortune. Yeah, it's a deflected goal, and there's a there's a penalty. Okay, it's not luck. They they put themselves in the in the right position, etc. Blah blah blah. But there was an element of whatever. If we're going to say that, then we have to ask, what in the name of Jesus was Jorginho doing? It's terrible. It, it's inexplicable because he wasn't under any pressure initially. He had so much time, and then I think he attempts some kind of a like a drag back. All right, I I don't know what it was. The ball is just stuck under his feet. If you watch the replays, there's acres between him and Madison. Acres. And I think Madison sees You mean what, when, when he gets on the ball initially? Yeah. yeah. He is yeah, all the was... time in the world. It makes it like he's not under that much pressure. He could have done anything, literally anything. He could have booted it. He could have played it out to the right, out to the well, left. Well, I think maybe that's part of what he misjudged is the amount of time that he actually had. Because you're right, and when he, he, when he gathered, he when he gathered the ball, he it, there was a lot of space. But Matt, I thought Madison did close it out quickly. He obviously did. I mean, look what happened. Um, he, so maybe Jorginho just misjudged a little. He got, uh, his, he got his feet tangled up. He got the ball under his legs. I, don't, I just can't explain it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, now it's great play for Madison in the end. He kind of isolates Saliba, uh, lays it off the sun, and it's, 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 a, it's a tidy finish. But, yeah, that, I mean, that was... That was a stroke of fortune that for some reason Jorginho would do that, um, especially with his center back split. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was a heartening game for for Tottenham. Arsenal it asked it it asked more questions, and uh, I I I think for Tottenham now the big the the biggest talking point coming out of it is is James Madison's knee okay. Well, he What's... continued to play right. I mean, like it, initially it looked like a non contact knee injury, which, which... is. Obviously Hard. terrible, especially yeah. for him who has come on to this club and is just flying. Um, but he stayed in, and then Ange did take him out eventually, and he's going to have more testing on it this week. And I think a lot of Tottenham fans are kind of holding their breath and waiting and seeing because he's vital, just so vital. Him, Son, Basuma, uh, who was great again, I thought in this game. Um, you know, you're starting to identify who. Okay, the, we're starting to we're starting to see who are like the uh, the irreplaceables for this team. Um, back to Sun for a sec. First, uh, Opta posted first uh, Spurs player to score a brace away at Arsenal since John Hendry in a Premier League match in May of '93. Um, but what? There, yeah, but there there is one other player I want to mention if we're talking about some of these irreplaceables for Tottenham, whose name we have not really said so far much this season. Who is also a new incoming player for them. Uh, Mickey Vandeven has come in 
at center back and quietly has been great. But in this game, I would say it's no longer quiet because Arsenal applied a lot of pressure and he was just always there. He was always there. Um, and, and you hope that this partnership with him and Romero can kind of be for a generation what Vertonghen and Alderweireld were. You know, it's interesting because with Ange, you know, what your buddy said, um, who, who's the Tottenham fan who runs the bar, like, you know, at some point we're going to get a pasting at some. We've all said it. Yeah. Every Tottenham fan since Ange was hired has said we're going to be fun to watch. You know, I, I'm all for this, but it, I, I acknowledge that at some point we're going to get a pasting. Well, maybe that's we're all. How long are we all going to be saying that for? Like maybe maybe defensively they're better than whatever they're being given credit for. Phil McNulty wrote this at the BBC. He said, for all the talk of attacking progression under Postacoglu, just as much pleasure will be drawn from how Spurs performed when Arsenal pushed for a late winner in a spell which also included 10 minutes of added time. Spurs not only threw bodies on the line, but there was no sense of panic. All bolted on to willingness to attack when the chance prevented itself. Postacoglu throwing his hands in the air in anguish when Richarlison's shot in the last seconds took a deflection wide. But he's right. Like there's so much put on like Tottenham and what they do in attack, but defensively they've they've held up. Yeah, they've you know I know they've conceded a few goals so far this season, but they're nothing like these pastings that we've expected. They haven't conceded more than two in any game. Um, you know, so I, I think defensively they probably deserve a little bit more credit than what they've gotten uh, up to this point under this manager. And I think Van de Ven has had a lot to do with that because, boy, has he he's just been so good for them. Uh, the last bit on this, JJ. So we're coming off a game where Tottenham scored a goal in the 98th and 100th minute. Then we're coming off a North London derby, first under this manager, where Tottenham came back twice to walk out of there with a point. And so I think certain players now are getting excited about what's happening. And James Madison was speaking to talk sport. Um, and, uh, he said, when you hear fans and neutrals talk about Tottenham, they often say soft, weak, bottle it, spursy, all that rubbish. I think the last couple of weeks shows we might be going in a slightly different direction because we scored in the 98th and 101st minute against Sheffield United to win late on when it looked like it was Mm. going to be one of those days. And today we go behind twice at arguably one of the best teams in the world and we pull it back and we're still fighting to the end. That line, JJ, about, you know. Bottles, bottle it, Spursy, all that rubbish. Oh no! Oh James, sweet, sweet, poor James. He Don't just doesn't. It. He just doesn't understand yet. No, he doesn't. He's only, he's only just arrived. He doesn't know. Yes, the, the Tottenham have had a. Uh, they've got a, a beautiful catalog of wonderful moments of non-Spursiness. The second leg versus City. The second leg versus Ajax. The Leicester game. But the soccer gods only allow these things to happen. So the inevitable moment of spursiness can just be more impactful. <laughs> he doesn't, he's only just gotten here. He doesn't know yet. He just doesn't know. The soccer gods are in a room right now, JJ, and they're just sitting around going, yes, yes. They hear this quote, good, good. Let the optimism flow through you. This is how it works. This is how it happens. Like he's just only gotten there. He doesn't know yet. He doesn't. He which is beautiful, understand. which is a beautiful innocence that well, he it has. Is, it's funny because he was in a talk sport interview. Um, I can't remember how long ago it was. Maybe it was like a month or two. And I think it was. Oh, what's her name? She's 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 brilliant. I think she's leaving Talksport. She's gone to TV anyway. Whatever her name, I'll, I'll think of her name in a second. No, we're gonna she's sit. An Ar- and we're gonna sit and wait for you to get to it. She's an Arsenal supporter anyway. 
And it was only a kind of a bantery question, but like, what, why, why Tottenham Hotspur? Why'd you pick Tottenham? And he looks kind of like, I think he knows it's a bit of banter, but she's also, he's also like kind of taken aback by it. I'm not sure he fully understands. I'm not sure any Tottenham player can really understand it unless you've been a supporter. The suffering, the misery, the hope followed by the massive, massive crushing realities of, of, of defeat. Um, Touching defeat from the jaws of victory, like last season away at Liverpool at Anfield. I mean, you say you're ready to be hurt again. Yeah. Madison hasn't been hurt yet. That's the point. So he can't know. And hopefully, hopefully he never is. But history will tell you that it's it's not on his side. But we'll see. Who knows? This is it's a it's a, a whole new world, this Ange world that we're living in. It was um, the lovely Laura Woods. Oh, okay. Who is excellent and is, I, I think, is a fair Arsenal supporter um, whenever she was on TalkSport because she, obviously you're fielding calls from the public. So sure. you're going to get a lot of abuse. Yeah. Um, but she did, she just made a comment. And um, no, she got absolutely killed by Tottenham supporters on social media for asking it in that, why Spurs? Oh my God, why Spurs? But, but he did look kind of, well, you know, why not? Well, he'll learn. I would imagine he'll learn. I mean, his perspective on joining Tottenham is probably like to him, like he it's a Super League club. Like for I know that like we all scoff at the Super League and hate everything about it, but to certain players, like it's an echelon of club yeah. that they aspire to get to. And like they play in a great stadium. They've had high profile Champions League moments in the last few years. Like so it's not altogether crazy um <laughs> at all. Like they're a great club. But but the crushing disappointment is it's never far around the corner. Uh, so two, two really fun North London Derby uh, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it as much as, as much as a fan of either of these teams can, it's hard sometimes to enjoy because you are nervous as you watch it, but it, this was a fun one. Uh, JJ, another game over the weekend that was fun, but only for one side, Newcastle just absolutely dismantled Sheffield United, eight nil Tottenham fans in a, in, as we continue the Spurs in this conversation, they know that Newcastle, this iteration of Newcastle is good for these every once in a while as they did it to Spurs last year. Um, but this was, I mean, it was probably like, it, it probably reached its peak. It was ugly early, but yeah, very was, ugly, but, but really it wasn't until that, like between 50th to 65th, like that stretch where it was just like, Oh no, where, where is this? Where are we headed here? When will this end? Well, they were averaging a goal from the 20th minute on. They were averaging a goal every 10 minutes um, in the first half. And there was a sense that, oh, this is this is chance after chance after chance. I mean, Sheffield United couldn't do anything. And every time uh, Newcastle got the ball, they were really vulnerable, vulnerable on set pieces. Two headers, Dan Burns, Sven Botman, set them up. I mean, the game was over. Uh, but I suppose 3-0 was... 3-0 between the 35th and the 56th minute was okay. And then, like you said, there was like this this onslaught yeah, I mean, of goals. You had the 56th, 61st, 68th, 73rd. Like that kind of like 20-minute yeah. window. It just then, it went from ugly to horrifying quickly. Yeah, absolutely horrifying. Uh, one shot on target at home, Bramall Lane, for, um, for the Blades, as you called them. The Blades. Eight oh. goals from eight different players. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I mean, it, it was, was a field good game for everyone. Callum Wilson scores, but it also means Alexander Isaac scores. Miggy Almiron gets a goal. Alex, uh, Anthony Gordon. Um, Bruno Guimaraes. Yeah, it was just an absolute hammering. I mean, there, this was a weekend uh, in, in, in both codes, in both uh, the American football code and the soccer code of significant hammerings. Yeah, uh, so what so what was worse? This an eight nil or what the Dolphins did to the Broncos in putting up a seventy spot, seventy to twenty, uh in their NFL game. I think that the disparity in spending and in status right now between Sheffield United and Newcastle is so pronounced that that's not as bad a beating as the Dolphins putting seventy uh, up on um, up on Denver. Because don't forget, the Broncos are a storied franchise. Now the Dolphins are too in their own way, but the the, the Denver Broncos are are NFL royalty. For this to happen to them is is more like when United smashed Arsenal at Old Trafford. And Wenger was sent off for kicking the water bottle, and he had to—he didn't know where to go, so he kind of went into this nether zone in the stands. Oh, that the was referee so... wasn't, oh, it was awful. <laughs> the referee wasn't happy with where he was, and he just held out his hands oh. in both. Ugh, for a man of his stature, it was, it was very pathetic. It was oh, a... it what it was it was awful. <laughs> so there was something along that line. Now, I tell you, there'll be a bunch of people just delighted, and I think you're one of them, that Sean Payton was on the end of this battering. I loved every second of it. I loved every second of it. I have a weird thing with the Saints and Sean Payton's time with the Saints. I always felt that there was a weird Eagles-Saints rivalry. And for years, I thought it was in my head. But then I saw there were some stories that started to kind of leak out where Sean Payton had, he had this thing with the Eagles. Um, when they beat them in the 2013 postseason in Philly, a game that I was at actually, he had the bus drive around the link like 15 times to symbolize like the victory laps he wanted. To, it was something weird yes. with that. Um, there were there was a whole bunch of things. There's some article I was trying to find it before the show because I thought you were going to bring this up. I couldn't <laughs> find it, but there was an article of like weird moments of Saints disdain for the Eagles, which I never understood why, but I I picked up on it and hated them hated them for it and so yeah i always yeah i i I enjoyed i enjoyed that beating and i think 70 just it doesn't happen no it doesn't happen i know eight nil is also like that doesn't really happen either but 70 in in an nfl game like that i i don't know to me that was worse yeah um, I thought actually the, the hammering that I should have compared it to was was Liverpool trashing United at old at uh, Anfield last season. Um, that's similar to to the Dolphins and and Denver, uh, you know, in terms of the stature of the franchises. But Sean Payton, the thing I didn't like about him was Bounty Gate, Bounty Gate to allow that. First of all, it was disgusting mm-hmm. to try and go and injure fellow professionals in that manner and then pay pay players to do it like from a slush fund. But the worst thing about it was that a lot of the figures were so pathetic. Like financially, absolute, you mean? like financially, these guys are on millions and millions. The contracts, even the even the lowest paid player 
this is not worth it. This is not worth the fine you're going to get. It's not worth the suspension you're going to get. It's not worth the the the, the degradation of your character. But but that's the this. thing is like the the financial figure. It's only like it's only symbolic because you're right. It, it it's a matter of locker room status. Like that's what the whole point of Bounty Gate essentially was. Like I'm the guy. Yeah, like yeah, give me the five hundred bucks. But it's more about like my coach challenged us to do this and I'm the one that took out their quarterback. Like it was, it's locker. It was a locker room status thing. And which is disgusting, which you're right to do that to fellow professionals who, by the way, in like in modern day sports, like you could be teammates with that guy next season. You're going to look that guy in the eye when you tried to tear his ACL. Like when you tried to concuss him, like, yeah, yeah. What they did was gross. I don't know. I I always had, I always had an issue with that organization. And I had my opportunity to, I had my opportunity to to bring Jonathan Vilma to task over he was he was with the Saints at the time. I I could have questioned him. I could have really laid it down. Jonathan Vilma was part of a team on ESPN that interviewed me during the Russia World Cup. Oh my god. 2018. <laughs> I was on ESPN radio and um I was told, Oh, hey, you're on whatever show and uh, there's me, Jonathan Vilma. I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> How about that? It would have been, yeah. oh man, what a moment that would have been if you just took the, if you took control and you, <laughs> you lambasted him for Bounty Gate and you, I was, I did a run, I did a run on, on ESPN on, on national radio during the Russia World Cup because um, obviously it was their first World Cup that wasn't on ESPN in a while and it was Fox. So they, they needed to talk about it, but they needed people to come on and I was only happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been a it would have been a bold move to go after Vilma for Bounty Gate, but I did go after one of their guests. Um, on I can't remember which show it was, but so I'm there in the studio, and you know the way you can when you're about to go live on air, I can hear in my headpiece the intro, mm-hmm. and they're slagging off soccer in the intro on this radio show as they're bringing they're, on a soccer guest to talk about as they're bringing oh, that, on that that's lovely. Yeah, and they're saying how boring and how you and how in the game you, they hate the fact that you have to manufacture excitement. So as I'm as I'm doing this, I'm in. The Boy, that'll really make it, you feel good. You're invited onto the show to talk about the sport that they are now playing an intro bashing. That's nice. So I went scorched earth. As and it just happens because I'm in the K Show studio, which you spent Manny's a happy day. Uh, and in the K Show studio, there's there's TVs always on. It's and, and and one of the TVs, they're doing a mascot race at a baseball game. I think it was the Nationals. And so as they are saying these things, I'm watching this. And I said, guys, manufactured excitement. I'm just watching a game of baseball that's been interrupted for mascots, presidential mascots to run around the track to see who wins. And you're talking about soccer, manufacturing excitement. Stop. And uh, I actually, I have the, um, I have the audio somewhere. Well, it was actually pretty good. Nice. Very nice yeah. point to you. Every sport has its flaws. Of course. Like that's how... of course it does. But like, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that's that, that can't back to this, by the way, uh, what, this... what, what a bit of a misdirection there for most. So Paul Heckingbottom, whose name is suddenly coming up regularly in this show, uh, you worried for this guy? He says he's a hundred percent going to be the manager of their next match. Andrew, uh, come on, are we not going to commit ourselves fully to football par- parlance? 
You should have asked me, do you fear for him? <laughs> I fear for Paul Heckenbottom. I do. I do. I fear for him. They're, they are the awful. And now they're I know they, they should have, they probably should have beaten Tottenham. If you got, if you're up a goal in the 97th minute, probably a game you should win. Um, I think you're, I think but, you're in trouble if uh, Rebecca Lowe is in a studio in Connecticut and she's intro introing the game before the 8-0 saying that the rumours are that Chris Wilder has been talked to by, by Sheffield United ownership. Yeah. So yeah. so if that's what they're saying before the 8-0 pasting, <laughs> it can't help your cause. They're winless so far. Uh, they got a minus 12 goal difference. Through six games, they've conceded seventeen goals already. Now I know eight will uh, will do wonders for your your goals conceded category, um, but they just they look very bad, um, and I and, would be I would be worried if I were him. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at the bottom three, Andrew, it's not much of a surprise right now. It's uh, obviously there's um, Luton and Burnley have only played five games, but it's it's Luton Town in eighteenth, Burnley in nineteenth. And Sheffield United rock bottom in twentieth. So the three promoted teams somehow right Everton look, just once again barely surviving, just ah, occupying Ever- the. <laughs> Everton got themselves out of the no winning column um, with their win at the weekend, which was to go to Brentford and win. Yep, that was. I gotta say that was a very good. It was, and actually they looked decent. They didn't look amazing. They looked decent. Dominic Calvert Lewin took his goal very well. You know, there's there's enough sludge underneath them, and they've 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 got just about enough to stay up. That's that was always going to be the goal this season. You said that. What did you say? It's amazing how you are yeah. a Nostradamus. You 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 said, don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun me. No, you you even said it better. Look who's in 18th. You said you don't have to unroute, uh, outrun the bear. You just have to be better than Luton Town. Right. That's the, that's the thing. Is like. We're not asking Everton to win trophies. Just be better than than the crap beneath you. And there's that's... some absolute rubbish teams, including Chelsea, that are are just delighted that uh, Luton Town, Burnley, and Sheffield United are in the league this season. So Chelsea, let's let's pull on that thread for a minute here. Uh, more misery for them. This is this has gone from eyebrow raising to like like let's have a conversation level. <laughs> like what what exactly is going on here? Ben Jacobs posted. Um, Chelsea nil Villa won three straight games in which Chelsea have failed to score. Ollie Watkins took his chance superbly for only goal of the match. Malo Gusto sent off for Chelsea and Nicholas Jackson picked up a fifth yellow. So he'll miss the next EPL match at Fulham. So no Malo Gusto with the red card, Nicholas Jackson, five, five yellows from your striker in his first six games. How does that happen? Yeah. What This is. They just seem more than almost any other team. Like we knew the Lutons of the world, Sheffield, like Everton. We we knew that there were going to be some teams that were going to be bad this season. We just knew that. I'll throw my hands up in the air and say that I did not know that Chelsea would necessarily be one of them. I thought that they would be top four caliber. And who knows? It's very early. Maybe they still will be. But right now, they seem more lost, I think, given what I whatever my expectations were for them. They seem more lost than any club in the league so far. I thought they'd be challenging for like sixth or fifth. I believed in Pochettino a lot. I thought, okay, at least it's a young squad and that he can come in and, and um, he can come in and make a big impact. <laughs> like, like so far, it's been disastrous to the point that I'm not sure 
Oh, by the way, the XG was was funny. This was a funny XG. Uh, Michael Cali tweeted it. Chelsea, 1.1. Aston Villa, 1.0. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's not working right now. It It's, I, I don't know if it's that Pochettino can't get the players to do the things he wants them he wants them to do, or that the players are such Frankenstein's mishmash from you know from like uh, Todd Bowley's signing policy to just like Chelsea's misguided scattergun approach to recruitment, and Poch literally can't do anything with this. There he just doesn't have the pieces. I don't know, and that's why no one does. Uh, Gary that's Neville. Why we'll be, Go on. Gary Neville said afterwards, it's a mystery in terms of what's happening at Chelsea. He said, I've said before, sometimes chaos flows right down through the club. I've said it about United, and there's no doubt uh, there as well. He doesn't. It is weird. So to that end, we will, for our second pod this week, we're going in the club at Stamford Bridge, Andrew. It needs to happen. It needs to happen. we We need people who are on the inside and who are watching this club relentlessly or have access to people on the inside, whatever. But I just mean people who are in and around the club. Yeah. Yeah. Who, in and around the football club. Who you can know, help me. Cause, cause if Gary Neville thinks it's a mystery, like we need answers from, from people I, who are like, watching this with a, with more of a, a close eye perhaps than the rest of us. Like that, like a football team. I mean, forget the money for a second, but football team just can't be, I don't know. A, a football is, team that cost a billion. Yeah. They can't go three games without Jeez. scoring. That can't happen. And look, I understand Christopher and Kunko's injury on the eve of the season was a bad thing because they obviously were, he had a good preseason. He looked like he was going to be a really important piece for them. But I'm sorry. It's not an excuse to never score again. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, yeah. Pochettino, I mean, Pochettino said we need to grow up like a team, not only in an individual way. He also was on about lemons again. Like, that's, you know, the way I talk about the weather to keep the darkness away. He talks about lemons when his football team aren't, aren't winning. Remember, he, he, he spoke about that at Tottenham as well, yeah. about the energy of lemons. It does sound familiar. Yeah. I like I bang- well, this is what he said again. Oh. Um, they started to work after two years, the lemons at Tottenham. Pochettino said ahead of the clash with Aston Villa, give time to the lemons. It's a thing that we all believe. I believe in the lemons. But at Tottenham, they started to work after one and a half, two years. They need a long time. They are not magic. But more than ever, I still believe in them. Today in my office, I have yellow ones, green ones, different types. From Spain, from Italy. I don't want to lie. There is a big box of lemons. I always thought the the yellow lemons worked much better than the green. But now I believe in any color. Any color can help. If I could get a blue lemon, it would be even better. What the f- are you talking about? Yeah, I do. That was back in 2019, I think, when he did. Yeah, but that. no, but I mean, th- these quotes were recent. Like he's still. I know, but the the first one, the first time around. Yeah, yeah. Um, Robert O'Connor. Uh, he's a sports reporter for the uh, for at PA, which is uh, PA Media Breaking News. Uh, he tweeted, Chelsea's points per game over the last 35 matches, three short of a full season, is 0.8. That would get you relegated in every single Premier League season and have you finished bottom or joint bottom 
in 97, 98, 2005, 09, 11, 14, 15, and 18. Now, like I said, there's so much, there's enough crap below Chelsea to keep them afloat. But uh, but it's unspeakable that a team that costs this much could be performing that bo- that poorly. Completely, now, and we're going to get. I don't, I don't we're know going to get to the about, bottom of this. I don't know a ton about finance, but I I do know JJ that that is that's a poor that's a poor ROI, as they say, return on investment. Yes, no, you're right, Andrew. It's a poor ROI. Well, I, I, we call it ROI in in, oh, in my sector of finance. I see. Um, finally, JJ, one other game I wanted to mention: Manchester City and Nottingham Forest, which got weirdly feisty um it did I, like look in the end city won because that's what they do and they were always but, going to yeah but like but it, it did seem to me that that forest kind of showed like you can if you get physical with them like really annoyingly obnoxiously physical you can bother you can at least bother them and you can um, get rodri sent off rodri cannot let that happen in a game no. against nottingham forest and I know, look, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and be watching a game and just and and say these things like, oh, stop, stop. Like he's in the game. He's in the heat of the moment. He's got a personal thing going on there. Um, and sometimes emotions just get the better of you. But like as I'm watching it, I was literally saying that like I'm not a Man City fan, but like I'm saying like, don't this is what they're trying to do. You are playing right into their hands. They're trying to annoy you and bother you and pester you into doing the exact thing that you're doing now. And I mean, look, he, he throws a hand at, at who was, who was the player for Nottingham forest? I can't remember now. He throws a hand at his throat. Yeah. It's a, it's an obvious red. He's gotta go. And so now you're missing a guy who, by the way, has been tremendous for them so far. I mean, you just saw what he did midweek in the champions league. He was great. He's been great for them this season, Rodri. Now he's gone for three games. And look, will it matter? I don't know how much any player disappearing for them matters or doesn't matter. I mean, I, I've almost forgotten that Kevin De Bruyne is on this team. It's, Nothing matters. But like, it's still, you know, can't just like from a perspective of like, they're a top-notch club who's trying to win a quadruple this year. Can't You can't, you can't show other clubs that you can be gotten to that way. Yeah. Can we talk just about Nottingham Forest for a second and how crazy or weird players they have are at the club. Not because they're weird individuals, but Forest are this team that every time they come out on the field, I'm like, who? He's playing for them. When did that happen? So, like who? Well, um, well, well, just for starters, every time I see like... Uh, I mean, right, Matt Turner, I knew he was going there. Okay, but like, I forget Serge Aurier is there. Forget about that. Willie Bowley's there. Yeah, Nuno Tavares. It's just odd to me. And then I looked at the bench. Callum Hudson-Odoi. He's there. Anthony Alanga. Alanga was supposed to be the next big thing at United. There he is. And one that completely flew under the radar. He's on loan from AC Milan. Divock Origi. Yeah, yeah. What? Che- I think uh, Chekuyate is there. Chekuyate is, it is well. You're right. It is a little strange. They are weird. Do they just look for a player? Oh, he wants to leave. He's out of contract. He's on loan. Just get him. Go get him. Like they, Their signing policy has been, I don't know, very, very strange. By the way, it was Morgan Gibbs-White, the player that got Morgan to Gibbs-White. Rodri. 
He went um, he went over a little bit embarrassingly, but they all do that. I, look, you're playing Manchester City. A guy has just throat punched you. You go over. Whether it hurt or not, it's what you do. You have okay. to. You have. I got no problem with anything he did there. Rodri's got to keep his head. Pep said afterwards, the game was incredibly perfect for 35 minutes for both sides. But after that, when it became chaos, it was not our responsibility. That is for sure. With all the yellow cards, the responsibility is not Nottingham Forest or Cities. That's for sure. The referee has changed the game. Absolutely. Really? Like, that's the referee's fault that, like, he's got to hand out yellows to get try to get the game back under control because it was spiraling. You had that incident with Rodri and Gibbs White. You had Ederson, and again, I forget who the player was. They're locked together like two Rams. Awanyi, was it? Like, was it Awanyi? They're they're yeah. they're head to head about to like like I mean I, the tension of that was a little bit unnerving as well. Like I don't really have a was it Anthony Taylor who was refereeing this match? I don't have a he handed out a ton of yellows, I think. Was it seven for Forest, four for uh City plus a, a red? Um, I mean, it's kind of what you have to do to try to get a match back under control. I don't know if it's entirely his fault. Uh Pep went on about Roger. He said hopefully Roger will learn. He had to control himself and his emotions. I can get a yellow card, but Roger can't, because Pep got one too. I don't play. The guys who do have to be careful, um, Kyle has done this in the past. They know they shouldn't do it, but it, it is emotions. Whatever happens, you have to control yourself. I'm angry because I don't like playing with 10 men. It's funny. like Kyle Walker and Pep have such an interesting relationship. Like, Why did Kyle Walker get dragged into that comment? <laughs> like, What did he have to do with it? <laughs> Pep and Kyle Walker. Like, um, Kyle Walker signed a new contract recently, and yeah. he he did a he did a video for it, which was a I'm not leaving. Yeah, doesn't work in his accent, but whatever. Um, but, but, but Pep he he conducts so many drive bys, like every time he talks about him, it's it's amazing. Like, do you, do you, do you think this guy is good or not? Yeah, <laughs> but interesting game that one. Uh... I don't know. That one took a turn that I just was not expecting. But City, they do what they do, and they uh, they they manage to win ugly. They win pretty. They they win every kind of way there is. Uh, let's see, JJ. We'll take a break in just a sec. Before we do that, though, I want to remind everybody, of course, uh, that support for Caught Offside is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best. Oh boy! In men's below the waist grooming, Manscaped offers precision en- precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Yeah. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. So join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CAUGHTOFFSIDE at manscaped.com. It's it's a wonderful product, JJ. And I sent you a text message earlier today oh, because pubes man struck again. Oh, uh, I don't I don't know what's going on in this public restroom Um but I once again, for the second time in probably the last three weeks or so, I went to a, a urinal, not even a private stall, but a public restroom urinal, and it's covered in pubic hair. And someone is I... doing this in in a public restroom, and it's very bizarre behavior. I, I don't want to I, I hope it's not someone that I know, because I don't I don't think I want to know people who behave this way in public. And these people need to understand that there is a better way. There's a better way. Maybe they do this there because they don't want to have to deal with the cleanup and they're rude. They think, oh, someone else will take care of this. If you just, first of all, if you just get this product by Manscaped, A, you don't have to open yourself up to the the potential 
situation of someone walking in on you doing this. And if the reason is you're lazy, you don't want to worry about the cleanup. So I'm just going to do it over a public restroom urinal because that's how I that's how I treat people. Well, clean up with this product, with the, the performance package from Manscaped. It's so damn easy. Stop doing this. I hope the person that does this is listening. It, it, you don't need to be doing this in a public restroom. You can do it in the privacy of your own shower. The cleanup is easy. The whole process is so easy. Stop. My God. Just listen to us. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code CAUGHTOFFSIDE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code CAUGHTOFFSIDE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Pubes, man, it's- JJ. <laughs> I mean, when you sent me that, I was devastated because I it, it, one of two things are happening. These people are this, among us. This, this this is a personal attack on you. He knows <laughs> this annoys you and he wants to get at you. Or second of all, it's a compulsion. Like he he has to do it. Um, either way, it's it's very disturbing. You've got Manscaped. You have the option, the, a fantastic option to keep your basement in good condition. You do not need to inflict this upon the general public. It's so weird. It's so weird. It doesn't need to be this way. It just doesn't. Uh, I'll tell you yeah, what. Let's does. go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back. A few things on the other side. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Bear Halter Reina Summit. Um, I want to talk about Megan Rapino. Want to talk a little and a couple interesting things from MLS. Um, and then another one of these moments, JJ. What do I say? Almost almost weekly on this podcast, I say something happens every week in this sport somewhere that if it happened in the U.S., it would be one of the craziest stories we've ever seen. Well, we got another one for you. Stay tuned. More caught offside still to come. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. You wouldn't let me, because you were talking so fast before the break, you wouldn't let me tease. Oh. I have a, a something, you know, the way we like to talk about things that happen in our, in our lives. Mm-hmm. I had a celebrity interaction, and I think you'd be very proud with how I dealt with it. All right, explain. Are you familiar with the actor Jack Davenport? Keep talking while I look him up. Okay. Uh, Jack Davenport was, is... Uh, in the morning show, he plays Jennifer Aniston's uh, husband in the morning show, the hit Apple TV show. He was also in, I think, the I think all of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchises. He's in lots of other stuff that I haven't watched, but I remember him originally starting out. He was on the BBC drama This Life. Which, I've definitely uh, seen him. I've definitely seen him before. Yeah. So I'm on the subway with my friend who's over from Ireland, and I say. 
this guy is on the platform and he gets onto the same train as us in in uh, in Brooklyn and I'm like that's Jack Davenport and he goes really do you think so what a uh, wild yeah, yeah, yeah. spotting by you oh I'm really good at it I'm I, so I good never oh yeah 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 I'm fantastic I'm very very good at that and um so it's so there he is and he sees me looking at him and like all right don't stare at the guy but then he he's obviously not freaked out cuz he comes down and he sits close to where we're standing and I'm like, I really like him as an actor. I'm enjoying him in the uh, the newsroom. And I remember him fondly on the BBC uh, in this life. And so this is what I did, Andrew. And just tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did this. So I wrote on my phone on a note because he's got his headphones in. He's got his uh, like um his ear pods in or his beats. They were beats, actually. And he was obviously listening to a podcast. And so I don't want to be touching him or tapping him on the shoulder. So I just did this. I wrote down, enjoying the morning show, used to watch this life on BBC Two when I, when I was a kid. On my phone, you can see it there, right? Yeah. Can you see it? Yeah, yeah. And I put it in front of him and he kind of squints his eyes and looks at it like, because I just I just put it right in front of him. And he laughs. He just goes, oh, oh nice one. Oh, mate, thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah. I left it at that. Yeah, I think it's fine. And it's almost there has to be a moment of nervousness, though. Like if I if someone did that to me, they didn't say anything, but they suddenly handed me a phone quietly with a note. I I would my instinct would be it says something like. I I have a gun in my pocket. Take when we get we're getting off at the next stop. Take me to an ATM or else like something, something like that. If you just hand someone a note in that way, he's English. So he doesn't have the 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 sense that uh that we who live in America or well he lives in America now so I guess yeah maybe you're right maybe but he didn't make the face of a man who was worried he was about to be coerced into giving him money <laughs> and now I know he lives in my neighborhood so I'm convinced we're best friends wow that is such a that is that's interesting all right Jack Davenport how about that um let's see JJ I I want to talk about Bearhalter Reina in just a sec but before that I, I just want to pay off the tease that I mentioned there before the break oh my god um so Ajax and, and Feyenoord in it what is a obviously a huge rivalry the biggest in hate that country other. hate each other Der Klassiker um so the, they Feyenoord goes up 3-0 on Ajax Ajax are having just a disaster of a season they're 14th right now Ajax are 14th currently in the Dutch Eredivisie and it's three nil. The match uh, is in, it's in Amsterdam. It's been stopped twice for disturbances. Finally, the, the pitch in the 56 minute is now being littered with flares and they've had it. And so the, the referee makes the decision to stop the match. Um, and much to my, dis- much to my surprise, they've announced that it's going to be resumed on Wednesday. And even more to my surprise is Ajax are upset about it. Um, in a st- I'm reading from the BBC. In a statement, Ajax said they disagree with the decision to finish the game on Wednesday on fixture congestion grounds and are considering legal action. Uh, and, and by the way, this now means they are supposed to play on Wednesday in the cup against Volendam FC. So now Volendam FC have been dragged into this. Um, Because that match is being postponed and has to be moved to another date. And as I'm reading all this about Ajax upset with the date that's been chosen to resume this match, that they're trailing 3-0, it's going to be played behind closed doors. 
I'm kind of thinking to myself, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you not grateful that you're being given the opportunity to continue this game? I mean, Feyenoord had to stay in their locker room while this match was postponed and couldn't leave it until the conditions outside were deemed safe. JJ, there's video outside of the stadium of fans smashing in windows, throwing flares into the stadium, and police on horseback trying to disperse this crowd. Tear gas being thrown into the crowd to try to disperse what was basically turned into a riot. And they're upset because the game isn't being replayed on their terms. Be happy that you're being given a chance to finish this game and come back from this deficit. This match should be abandoned. It should be an absolute forfeit. Are they serious? I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe they're so bold in this that maybe there's a whole culture here that I don't quite understand. And the idea of a forfeit is just like so far off the table that I'm talking nonsense right now. But my American brain saw this scene and thought, no effing way that game should continue. You're done. Moving on. Next match. You're not dragging Volendam into this and asking them to have to now postpone. You're not asking Feyenoord to have to come back and play on a Wednesday. I mean, that match should be finished. They should lose that game. Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. Um, I don't think you're crazy at all. Uh, no, and I'm very much of the integrity of the league and everything, but I think at 3-0... Considering everything that happened, Ajax deserved to be to be docked the points. They lose the points. It's as simple as that. Um, interesting, interesting state of affairs here. You know, the te- I'm just going back to the football, the terrible, terrible uh, state that Ajax are in on the field. Uh, I'm reading from ESPN. Later on Sunday, Ajax announced they had parted ways with their director of football, Sven Mislintat, with immediate effect. We remember him, don't we? He was the director of football, the ill-fated director of football at Arsenal a few years ago. Um, in May, Ajax appointed Mislintat as the successor to ex-Arsenal player Mark Overmars, but the association proved to be short-lived. Now, we remember Mark Overmars being voted some weird vote. I can't remember what award award ceremony, but he, he got voted executive European executive of the year or something like that. He was the bee's knees when it came to recruiting. Uh, unfortunately, he got involved. Fortunately for his the people, he sent photos to. He was involved in a a scandal of um, harassing members of staff with pictures of himself. And it just, you know, the way the downfall of Manchester United all started with horse sperm. Well, the downfall of Ajax started with um, inappropriate messages. It's a, it's a not a good place they find themselves in. No, um, and just the scenes from, especially outside the stadium those afterwards. All, those were all Ajax supporters rioting outside the stadium afterwards because. I don't think there was any Feyenoord uh, supporters there, allowed at that. There game. were none. There were no Feyenoord supporters at this match. Right. I mean, the horse. It looked like the fight scene from Anchorman with the horseback. It was, it, it was wild, absolutely wild. So stay tuned. I mean, just imagine now if if Ajax come back and win this thing or, or draw level on Wednesday when they replay this. If they do, like I said, Ajax is thinking over legal action that they can take here. 
just one of those stories, just wild. Um, another wild story, but this one actually set in the U.S. Greg Bearhalter and Gio Reyna. Yes, remember that old duo? Well, they reportedly uh, finally had their long-awaited sit-down. Um, and speaking at a roundtable with reporters, Matt Crocker said, I think both Greg and Gio are in a good place to move forward. He didn't um, give much details, the no. sporting director, Matt Crocker. We have nothing much to go on except... We know it was awkward. On, oh, on, a, so... on a scale of 1 to 10, JJ, how awkward do you think this sit-down was between the two of them? I'm just trying to picture like when Greg walks in. like, Do they shake hands? Like Every single part of the interaction, I would be thinking out in my head. And when you're, when you're doing that, it, it can only be awkward. I, I would say it was tense. It was... sweaty it was bit and i i doubt i would very much doubt it was anything other than look can we work together i i I wouldn't even say the words let's put this behind us i don't think i such was the nasty personal decades-long vindictive nature of this whole incident it's never going away it's always there thank you for saying that forever there is no, they will never be friends. They'll never be buddies. There won't be a time in 30 years where they sit on a balcony and goes, hey, coach, pretty glad we sorted that out. Sure, sure. Am. <laughs> yeah. Look at all we did together. Not, not happening. Right. Never no, happening. yeah. No one's sitting here saying one day we'll have a good laugh about this. No, never. It, it, it was so vitriolic. So, and so personal because of the nature of the relationship between, really between the two families and the two. Um, the two women involved, two moms. So it's it's never going to be fixed. Um, I would say it was like one of those terse conversations. Look, can we work together? I, I'm going to pick you. Uh, I'm going to select you when you're fit. I'm going to select you for camp. I want you to come in. I want you to, when you're selected, I want you to, I want us to have a, a relationship on a footballing level. That's it. That's what I would have think it would have said. Can you do that? Yes. That's all it would have been. It couldn't have been anymore. It's just yeah. there's. But, but but there are elements of it. They would have to go deeper. And like Bearhalter's got to tell him, look, sometimes I'm not going to select you. We can't. Ha- it can't be war. Yes. We, we, we can't have warring families when that happens. No. You have to you, be able it, to handle it. And like. He'll have said your direct line has to be to me if you're unhappy. Yeah directly to him um crocker said geo's looking forward to the next camp as soon as he's fit which is i mean this is really one thing that could probably make this conversation null and void if his injuries continue to hamper his career in the way they have this might not be a conversation we have to worry about um and greg's looking forward to working with him crocker said uh no he isn't he's looking forward to being able to have a player that's impactful on the field. Working with him, he is not. No. Let's not be ridiculous. And I'm glad you you said before that this is never going away because after this conversation, I saw not too much, in fairness, to American soccer fans and media. But I did see, I won't name names, but I did see a little bit of the Greg is moving on and Gio's moving on. So maybe now we now can we all please finally move on? And and I am here to tell everyone. No, no, JJ, like, let's just, can we just reflect upon what happened only nine months ago? Not even a year. 
One of the best players on our national team nearly got sent home from a World Cup because of a bad attitude about playing time. The coach of the team then accidentally revealed the entire situation when he thought he was speaking off the record. The player's parents, one of whom is a U.S. legend, then went effing crazy and outed the coach of the team for a domestic violence incident that occurred over 30 years ago. By the way, the coach and that former player used to be best friends. And then after all of this, the coach was rehired in the face of the most intense criticism American soccer has ever seen over a coaching decision. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll move on from this. The moment all of you out there stop quoting Allen Iverson's practice press conference as if that was anything close to this. It hasn't even been a year. These two haven't even been back in a locker room yet. All right. JJ, are you watching the bear? The show? I I just so, so so damn good. I, I just watched the seven fishes episode of the bear, oh. which, which was unbelievable television. Incredible. But guess what? They get a year to talk about what happened at the most dysfunctional Christmas dinner of all time. All right. At, at one Thanksgiving, my uncle, my uncle Robert ate a full lemon. That's all. That's all he did. We still talk about it every year. Oh, remember when uncle Robert ate that lemon? That was so weird. Huh? All right. You expect me to just move on after only nine months from the greatest scandal in the history of U.S. men's soccer? Nah, nah, no thanks. Not yet. Not yet. I can't believe people are out there saying, can we all just move on, guys? Enough. Let's just move on. No, not from this. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I had to get that off my chest. I don't like the idea that we all need to. If if you're not ready to move on, then then there's something wrong with you. No. It's like if you slept with Darcy and, uh, and and then I called you up knowing everything and said, yeah, yeah, not ideal, but, you know, hope it doesn't affect the podcast. Like, well, hang on. Yes. And we are going to probably talk about it again. It's it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Not ready to move on. And if and for the American fans out there who agree, you're not wrong. All right. It's only it's been less than a year from the biggest scandal this country's soccer program has ever seen. All right. It's okay to still be thinking about it. Um, the last biggest soccer scandal this country has ever seen. And I, you all know to which, to what I refer, that's never gone away. Nor has it been forgotten. Wait, what's like, that? Are we, re- I, I'm not, I'm not going to do this in the interest of, I want to put that one to bed. 1998, okay. Eric Winalda. Oh, 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 oh my. All yeah. right. Um, uh, let's see, JJ, a couple other things, obviously that I want to get to here. It it was quite a week for the U S women's national team as Julie Ertz bid farewell. And then that was followed up, um, just over the weekend by Megan Rapinoe playing her 203rd and final match for the U S women's national team. Just a couple things on, on Megan Rapinoe specifically, Julie Ertz, by the way, just, I will say quickly on her 31. Like, I feel like she's been around for so long. She's really yeah. only 31. Is that right? Yeah, but like, in soccer, there are people who are like perpetually 27. You're like, oh my God, he seems like he's been 27 forever. Um, she's still yeah, got, like, she could still be so productive, but hey, I give her credit. I give her credit. Like, she has, she wants to take her life in a different direction. Good for her that she has the ability also, to she do did. that. I mean, she, she has spent, the last two years mostly not doing soccer so yeah um she's probably seen life she's got a taste of life outside relentless training and traveling and 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 probably likes it 
Yeah. And it's probably pretty great. And she just had a child and yeah. yeah. I mean, so good for her. She's an absolute legend. And Megan Rapino, who's look, her, let's just call it like it is like her, her career didn't end the way she would have wanted it to. She missed a penalty in a, in a world cup knockout stage match, but that should not. And for me does not lessen the impact that she made on a generation of women's soccer, not just in this country, but globally. Um, I mean, she ends her time as a U.S. women's national team player. Is, she's one of the greatest women's soccer players of all time, but she, I think she walks away as one of the most famous female athletes of all time. Like the impact of her legacy off the field mirrors the impact of her legacy on it, which is saying something because her legacy on it was legendary as well. Um, played a vital role in two of the most important moments in the history of U.S. soccer, obviously the the assist uh, for the U.S. women's national team um, in the World Cup to Abby Wambach in 2011 against Brazil. And then in 2019, she's she's the face of the equal pay dispute. If you take yourself back to that World Cup, she's the face of this moment. And she's the face of U.S. soccer's social justice movement. There's an awful lot of pressure and public scrutiny on her in this time going into that tournament. And she comes out of it. She scores six goals. She wins the World Cup. She takes home best player honors. I mean, to do that with kind of what was what was riding on her and that team during that time, I don't think can be understated. Um, I, I know you'll laugh at this, but J.J. Henry Bushnell has a great article where he kind of talks about all of this. And, you know, it's interesting because sometimes the because the U.S. didn't win in 2011, uh, not that it gets forgotten. But I think people do sometimes undervalue the impact of that moment, of that goal, the assist, the Wombat goal to do that in the World Cup against that Brazilian team. Um, Henry Bushnell, he quotes one of the, the director of U.S. soccer communications in the article, and, and they basically said everything changed after that moment. Everything. Social media was peaking and the high profile nature of that goal against Brazil um, the drama of it all, even though they didn't win the tournament, that was it. Like they had a signature moment and they talk about how social media followings for Rapino, Wambach, Alex Morgan, they went they went through the roof. Their popularity went to another level that I don't think people quite understood that these players could get to. And Megan Rapino was a huge part of so much of this on the field, off the field. It's a really it's an unbelievable legacy that uh, that she leaves behind. So congrats to her on an yeah, and, tenure with the U.S. women. I mean, it's. It's rare, and you could argue that maybe, actually he hasn't. There's no other soccer player in U.S. soccer history has impacted the mainstream zeitgeist like Megan Rapino. When's the last U.S. soccer player that has been genuinely on the tongue of a president of this country? There's no U.S. men's player. No, they're just that, that has ever gotten to that level. Never. Um, it hasn't happened, and so and so for that, I mean, I could tell from our emails from the World Cup, um, some of the emails we received from uh, more, of, I suppose, conservative listeners. Um, she's a she was a polarizing figure figure in many ways, mm -hmm. but. Um, she was a figure that transcended the sport and I don't know what's, I mean, cause she's, she's still young. She's a young woman, relatively speaking. And she definitely, she 
in terms of her career, she wouldn't have liked to have gone out the way she did. But off the field and on the field, there's there's rarely been a figure in U.S. soccer that's made that kind of impact. I would urge people of of all political persuasions. Um, she's not just some rabble rouser who, with a big mouth, who speaks on issues of social justice and and what's going on in the country and things she perceives to be wrong or or and things that are wrong. Um, she has background and and her own personal experience. And there's a profile written by Gwendolyn Oxenham from uh, 2020. Uh, why Megan Rapinoe's brother Brian is her greatest heartbreak and hope. Uh, I'll I'll link it on at CO Soccer Pod and and. Um, on our Instagram too. You should read it. Whatever you think of her, whether she annoys you, she irritates you, whether you don't like her political stances, whatever, just read it. It's worth it. And it gives you an idea of her motivations and, and where she's coming from. So congrats to her on an incredible career. And I'm I'm genuinely curious to see what her second act is because she does not strike me as someone who will just kind of fade into the background. I think she'll I be... would imagine it's going to be more advocacy. I think they're unfortunately, uh, yeah, you could see her sucked back into the, this ongoing, never ending culture war in this country. Um, maybe I'm sure I'd, I'd like to think she'll do some good somewhere. Um, let's see a couple of final things to close out on JJ. Uh, want to mention in the Madrid Derby, Atletico Madrid, picking up a, a fairly convincing win over Real Madrid. Um, three, uh, one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, three headers. Yeah. Morata with two uh, Griezmann and then, and then Morata with another one. Yeah. And I think that, that now in between, uh, at two nil, Cruz got a, a brilliant goal, really, really great, super goal, left foot, right foot shot into the bottom corner. But I think the thing that note was notable about Madrid in this uh, Real Madrid was the defending on all the goals was just so lax. Valverde doesn't get across to stop the cross on the first goal. Um, I mean, again on the second goal, it's so easy. It's a great cross from Saul, but. Um, Again, nobody really close to Griezmann, who's not exactly six foot seven, and 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 the third goal, uh, Alaba sees Morata, runs the wrong side of him towards the ball, lets him in behind. It's a free header for Morata, and Alaba looks behind and does the thing that just annoys me so much. Like pulls out his hands at no one in particular to say, "Why aren't you picking him up?" No, you yeah. pick him up. You saw him and you let him go. So, um, yeah, kind of a the first uh, first kind of fly in the ointment of the the, the Bellingham era. Well, it's the of, literal first blemish. I mean, they've they've won every game they've played so far this season in all competitions. So they have, but if they're going to be that passive defensively, then it's going to give joy to few teams in La Liga and maybe a few teams in the Champions League. Yeah, can't be like that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and look, maybe. It's Real Madrid, so I don't want to. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for them. That's ridiculous. But I mean, it might be a a tough assignment coming off of a Champions League fixture to then at the weekend have the Madrid derby at at Atletico. Um, yeah, that's know. not going to wash amongst the guys who take out the white hankies. No, certainly not. And look, props to Atletico Madrid. I mean, they were excellent in this game. Um, their width 
I mean, you saw the crosses they, they played in. It just felt like they had this, this ability to stretch Real Madrid yeah. uh, over the course of this match, both sides of the field. And congrats to Morata, who sometimes is, I don't know if everyone always knows how to view him in the pantheon of, of strikers. So true. Uh, he can be a bit confusing in that way, but for him to get two goals against Real Madrid, that's a huge moment for him. Uh, both really, be, really well taken. It'll definitely be some people at the end of his career when, when he announces his retirement, they'll go, are you any good? Like, I'm you try- good? Who else is in that category for you? Um, is it is it unfair? Am I forgetting the best parts of Iguain's career? To to maybe someone? he had a he, he had a, I would say Iguain had an even sweeter spot. Yeah, than, than Morata Defin- did in his definitely, career. Definitely, yeah, he stretched it out across you know a good spell in Napoli and then a brilliant spell in Juventus. So. I mean, yeah, his end no, was right. his de- his decline was not good. Yeah, maybe I'm and, thinking and, and, a little too and, much of like Chelsea and Chelsea, and also we we are very flavored by big moments in a World Cup final and in a Copa America final. We're very very kind of cognizant of of his performances there. I think Higuain, his his sweet spot was longer than Morata's. What about Lukaku? Is it, could he find himself in that category of of confusing career? Really good, um, some good highs, but also again, I would say he had, yeah, he had some really, really good highs, and then some just moves that did not work. Yeah, um, like the second Chelsea, sorry, the third Chelsea run, um, no, the second Chelsea run, and then the the Man United. Those are two because the Premier League is the it's got so many eyeballs on it. Those are two big black marks, and then obviously the enduring image of the game against Croatia at the World Cup. But he scored a absolute bagfuls of goals. I would say Lukaku's ahead of Higuain or Marat in terms yeah. of... And these these guys I'm mentioning are objectively way better. They're definitely better than Marata. I'm just trying to think now of guys in general who, who have had careers that will confuse a little bit when they're all said and done. But yes, Higuain and, and Lukaku are definitely in, in a tier above Marata. Yeah. Um, I think Fernando Torres will have, who is brilliant, but yeah, the end after Liverpool, not so good. Yeah. He, he had Atleti, his time at Atleti, and then he had Liverpool, and then everything after that, not so good. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I just wanted to close out on two MLS notes, because there was some some interesting stuff, I thought, over the weekend. Uh, first in Austin, um, boy, you, you had... Almost a three-hour weather delay, which, by the way, if you haven't seen some of the photography to come out of the storms around that stadium, they're pretty spectacular. (laughs) Some of the lightning strikes that were caught on camera, pretty incredible. But you got almost a three-hour weather delay in that game. So it starts probably, it was like 1230, I think, past midnight. Um, Austin go up 3-1 in the 74th, and then... Gal- LA Galaxy get one back in the 89th and then equalize in the 94th. I I just was trying to put myself in the position of some of the fans who stuck it out, the Austin FC fans who stuck it out and stayed till like past two in the morning through a weather delay and like watch their team crumble like that in this really rough spell for them. JJ, on July 15th, all right, on July 15th, Austin FC beat Sporting Kansas City two to one. It's September 26th, or about to be. Actually, it is now. It's after midnight. It's September 26th. Austin FC has not won since 
God. Which includes two League Cup defeats as well. League's Cup defeats. Like, this is a wild run of bad form from a team that that I think, I don't know what we thought of them at that point in mid-July, but I think you at least thought, okay, they're, in, they're at least in good position for that 8-9 game, and maybe they can slide into, like, one of the automatic spots in the top seven. They have, this plummet has been spectacular from them. I mean, just one game after another. Those poor fans who stuck it out, that had to be that had to be like a, a moment for them where they just reevaluated their life and, and where things are right now. Um, and then the other one I want to mention, Saturday night, we had the MLS Cup final rematch between Philadelphia Union and LAFC. These teams have provided us with some of the most riveting MLS matches that we've seen over the past few years. So if you were... So if you were expecting the nil-nil with zero combined shots on target oh and, my God. and only six combined shots total, good for you because I very much was not. Uh, Taylor Twellman, actually, he posted that um, that this game actually had the lowest combined XG of the Opta Stats era in MLS. 0.35 combined XG from the Union and LAFC. These teams who have delivered in their matchups so many times it was just it was a game that happened and nothing else it will be for it was forgotten almost the second that the final whistle blew who would have expected that very no, weird just absolutely stinks yeah but you'll have games like that i guess never on un, never underestimate soccer's ability to be absolutely tedious as a sport it can it can deliver it yeah which goes to show why that radio show you were on was absolutely right with their intro. No, well, I knew you'd take against me eventually. Good for them. Good for them. JJ, I got nothing left. I got nothing left. I'm, I'm done. I'm spent. Um, watch out for our second part of this week where we are going to go in the club with Chelsea. We haven't been in the club with Chelsea for a while. Um, and it feels like a good time to ask what in the name of lemons is going on. Yeah. It's important. We need to, we need to understand. We need to understand. Even Gary Neville needs to understand. He says it's a mystery. We all need a better understanding. So we'll do that later this week. Keep your eyes open for that uh, later in the week uh, for a second pod. JJ, I enjoyed this immensely. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.